So here we are in uh, the eighth chapter of Acts, picking up our, uh, on our journey through uh, the book of Acts. And today I want to talk uh, about divine appointments. We, we, we refer to these moments uh, like we read about in this story today. We often refer to them as divine appointments. And a divine appointment... Um, that, that's really those, those gospel opportunities that are so extraordinary that they can't be explained naturally and couldn't have uh, come about apart from the direct involvement and leading of the Holy Spirit. Those are the kinds of things that when you experience that, you walk away thinking this is just, you know, there's nothing like this. And I believe that uh, we should expect divine appointments. We should ask for divine appointments because uh, I think God wants to arrange uh, those for us just like he did here in the story um, with, with Philip and the Ethiopian. So, so what I wanna do is I wanna first just give us a little bit of background um, looking at uh, a few things here. Uh, starting with Philip, let me just remind you of who Philip is. We, first, uh, we were first introduced to Philip back in the sixth chapter, and he was one of those seven men that was chosen to uh, basically just serve in uh, a very practical aspect of ministry. He was distributing uh, food and clothing and things like that to the, the widows in the church, to the poor in the church. That, so that, that's where we first meet him. Uh, he was chosen to do that. He was uh, a man of a good reputation. He was full of the spirit and wisdom. And so he, along with Stephen and uh, five others, they, they were chosen for that. Now, um, as I mentioned last time, uh, he would later be referred to as Philip the Evangelist. And we saw in our last study, we saw that it was Philip, this servant in the church of Jerusalem, who went to Samaria and preached Christ there. And it was through Philip that uh, Simon the sorcerer was influenced. We saw all of that last week. And so that's the person that we're still dealing with here. And, and once again, uh, we see he's, he's living up to his title, uh, or, or the way he's referred to later as the evangelist, because that's exactly what uh, he's doing in the story here. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just to note, uh, we have a reference here to Ethiopia. Now, of course, we have today in Africa, the country of Ethiopia. It's not the exact same uh, geographical region uh, that it was back in biblical times. So today... Um, of course, uh, you know, if we look at a map, we see Ethiopia. It is um, East Africa. It's, it's more, um, more south than this Ethiopia would have been. This Ethiopia would have been uh, what we know today as Northern Sudan and, and probably southern, uh, some, some of the southern area of Egypt. And uh, also what, what used to be known as Nubia, would, would probably be what uh, the Ethiopia was um, back in that day. So just for a little uh, clarification there. And then we, we read here about this Ethiopian eunuch and want to talk about 
that for a moment. So um, a eunuch. Now, a eunuch could have been, um, well, there, there are two possibilities with, with the eunuch. Um, some ancient kings required that those serving in particularly powerful political positions, uh, that those men be castrated, uh, and that was in order to protect the king's harem. So when you think of eunuch, if you know what that, if you're familiar with that word, that's usually what you think of, and that's correct. But as time went on, the, the word really began to refer to a, a high-ranking political official. It didn't necessarily uh, anymore carry with it the certainty that the person was a physical eunuch it became just sort of a title. So, so with this person that we are looking at here, we know that he was definitely, because the text tells us, we know that he was in, like in this uh, official capacity. He, he holds this, this high position in the, the kingdom of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So, so maybe at this stage and in that particular environment, it was just a reference to his position. It had nothing to do with his physical condition, but it might have also had something to do with his physical condition. And if that was the case, the interesting thing is here uh, to note that the law had stated that a eunuch could not enter the assembly of the Lord because of that um, condition. So if he actually was uh, physically a eunuch, then even though he's gone to Jerusalem to worship, he, he really could not enter fully into that worship there. And so that's just kind of general background for eunuchs. But then we come to this particular man. And so it says about him, uh, notice that he uh, was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this man was probably a Jew. And the reasons being, number one, he's going to Jerusalem to worship. This is an 1,100-mile journey. At least if you calculate it from, say, uh, Khartoum, which is the capital of uh, northern Sudan, to Jerusalem, that's 1,100 miles. That's a long ways. So, uh, you know, perhaps he had gone there on official business, but he also comes to Jerusalem to worship. So because of that, and secondly, as we find him later in the story, after he's visited Jerusalem, he is reading the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so both of these things would uh, sort of lend to the fact that he uh, was, a, was a Jew. He could have been a Jew just by birth because uh, even back at the New Testament period, there were uh, what were known as Ethiopian Jews. Uh, those who were... Um, black Africans, but nevertheless, they were Jewish. Now, even today, 
in Israel, you have what are known as the Falasha Jews. They're the Ethiopian Jews. They're black Africans, uh, but they're Jewish. Um, they don't really like the, the title Falasha. They prefer to be called uh, Beta Israel. Um, but in 1975, they were officially recognized as Jews by the Israeli government and given permission to, um, to immigrate into Israel. And in the 80s, uh, the Israeli government paid for uh, tens of thousands of them to be transported from Ethiopia up into Israel. So if you go to Israel today, you'll see a number of uh, Ethiopian Jews. So the man was either that or he was at least a Jewish convert. He was a proselyte. He had become Jewish uh, by faith. And the reason I say that is because even though the gospel is extending now all the way down into Africa, it has not yet been extended to those who would be considered Gentiles. That doesn't happen till Acts chapter 10. And it's very clear in Acts chapter 10 that the gospel goes to the Gentiles. That's, that's where it takes place. Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and, and then it becomes recognized that God is working among the Gentiles. So at this point, um, again, even though it's geographically spreading, the gospel is, it hasn't yet crossed the, the boundary from Jew. Even though the Samaritans were sort of Gentiles, they were also sort of Jews. So the, the big transition uh, hasn't happened there. So that's just a little bit of the background. Now, let's look at um, the story itself. And I want to speculate a little bit here, but I think... Um, I think there's a basis to do it. I want to first of all look at the state of mind of this eunuch. So here's a man who's traveled a great distance, as we've already said, and he's been to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's um, heading back to his country. And I would guess that he was dissatisfied in what he experienced in Jerusalem. I would imagine if he made that long, long journey. He was, he was going there with uh, a, a great expectation of having, um, you know, some real significant experience with God. But I don't think he would have had that. Because if you think about it, at this point, the whole temple worship is not just corrupted like it had been earlier, even in the time of Jesus. We know it was corrupted. Jesus had to go in and cleanse the temple. But at this time, it is, um, as the Old Testament put it, it is Ichabod. The, the glory has departed. The Spirit of God is no longer there. They've rejected the Messiah. They crucified the Messiah. They're going on with their religious activity, but it's completely dead. God is not there at this point. So if this man goes to Jerusalem seeking God, I, I think we can safely say that he is um, leaving disappointed so that's, again, speculative, but I think it's probably the case. But also, if he was physically a eunuch, then he would have um, experienced an element of alienation as well. Because those who were overseeing, uh, had they recognized that that was the case with him, which, I mean, it seems like it's public knowledge, um, 
you know, they would have, they would have kept him at a bit of a distance because of the mosaic uh, restriction. So I think it's safe to say that this man did not find what he was looking for in Jerusalem. He did not uh, come away with that sense of peace and fulfillment and just that confidence in the reality of, of, of God and you know, God's love for him and all of that. And we see that at, on his way back, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. So it seems like just the fact that he's reading the prophet Isaiah, he, he's, still, he's still on a quest. He's still searching. Now, maybe, again, this is speculation, but maybe in Jerusalem, he heard about this Messiah, Jesus. And, and maybe somebody even pointed him toward the prophecy of Isaiah. We don't know. But it is absolutely astounding to see the passage that he's reading. Now, um, how many of you have ever read the book of Isaiah? You read the book of Isaiah? It's 66 chapters. It's, it's a long book. But this was not a book. This was a scroll. You know what a 66-chapter scroll is like? I mean, it is a long scroll. And remember, we have chapters in our Bible. We have chapters and verses because in the... 16th century, somebody decided to do that. They thought it was a good idea. And I think it probably was a good idea, but they didn't have that back then. So it wasn't like he could open, it wasn't like in Jerusalem, somebody said, hey, read Isaiah 53 on your way home. Check that out. Um, there was no Isaiah 53. But in the, in the, well, actually probably, you know, closer to the end of the scroll, because there's 66 books, he comes across this text that is Isaiah 53. How many of you have read Isaiah 53? Ever read Isaiah 53? Great. Actually, you guys win, because last service, there were less people that had read Isaiah 53. So why is Isaiah 53 so significant? Because Isaiah 53 is the clearest prophecy concerning the, the theological ramifications of the suffering of the Messiah. Now, there are two great Old Testament texts, or many Messianic Old Testament texts, but the two great passages that speak of the suffering of the Messiah are, are Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. And the difference is this. Psalm 22 really looks more at the suffering of Christ from the, the, the physical standpoint. As a matter of fact, if you read Psalm 22, how many of you read Psalm 22? You read Psalm 22 and you get a clearer picture of what happened on Calvary than you do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So Psalm 22 gives a, a clearer depiction of crucifixion than, than the gospel writers even do. So that's a one great passage in the Old Testament. The second is Isaiah 53, which looks at the same thing, but from a different standpoint. What uh, Isaiah is looking at is that same suffering Savior, but looking at what was accomplished or what was you know, happening during that suffering, the theological realities that were transpiring and what that means for us. So this is the passage that... Um, 
this man is reading. And like, and like I said, speculatively, but perhaps it was the case, uh, there were still Christians in Jerusalem, even though they had been scattered because of persecution. We know the apostles were there. It seems that Philip had gone back there and was spoken to by the angel uh, you know, to head south from Jerusalem. And so maybe this man had had some kind of um, encounter there. In some way, he had heard in some sense uh, about Jesus. We don't know for sure. But, he, but he's definitely uh, leaving, having not found what he was looking for when he went there originally. So that brings us to Philip. So Philip is there in, I, I think he's back in Jerusalem, and here the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. He says, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So there was a road that went uh, there, and it, as they would continue on that road right on through Egypt and right back to Ethiopia. Uh, but, but Philip is now called by the Lord to go down to that road, and so he responds, and that's where we see that here is this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's returning home, and verse 28 says, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So this is, this is also amazing. So first of all, Philip is in, let's say he's in Jerusalem, and the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go down to, you know, this road that goes south to Gaza. And so Philip, he responds, he does that. But, but now he gets there and who knows if he gets there just exactly at the same moment that the uh, caravan is passing by or if he has to wait a while and sort of wonder like, okay, what, what am I doing here? Felt like, you know, the Lord told me to come, here I am. But now he sees that this chariot is passing by and that this man is reading Isaiah the prophet. So the spirit says, go and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? So picture this in your mind. Here's a caravan that's going along. And this is a... Um, you know, this is a, uh, a delegation from another nation. This is the, the representative of the queen. So this is a serious uh, caravan. And the, the main guy, the most important person, it's the eunuch. And so he's there in his chariot and he's reading this. So picture this in your mind. Suddenly, this guy comes running up alongside of you because that's what it says. He's running alongside and he shouts out to this man, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, this is, if you think about it, visualize it, visualize it it's kind of comical. It's like suddenly this guy's running alongside going, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, no, how, how can I know unless somebody helps me? And so the eunuch says, maybe you can help me. Why don't you come on up and we can talk about it. And so that's exactly what happens. So Philip, um, he's invited into the man's chariot 
And the man says, I, you know, how can I know unless someone guides me? And Philip uh, came up and, and it was the place in scripture, as we've already pointed out, it was the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He was led uh, as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Wow, what an amazing question. This is like the, this is the kind of question that you die for. It's like, you know, somebody basically just saying, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? I mean, that's really what the guy was saying, even though he didn't know it. But, but again, remember, this portion of scripture. Now, uh, here Luke just tells us a little bit about what he was reading. But if we back up just a bit, I want to give you the full context of, of what this man is reading. So here's what he's reading. Verses three through six say this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The chastisement for our peace or the punishment that brought our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He reads that and he says to Philip, who is he talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about some other man? And it says, and from that scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. And what a wonderful moment. Man, this is like, this is one of those divine appointments. This is a full Holy Spirit setup. And now uh, Philip is just walking into it. And at, at this scripture, he preaches Jesus. Now, obviously, this is an easy scripture to preach Jesus from because it's all about Jesus. So he would have gone on, Philip would have gone on just to tell him the story of Jesus. But then also, obviously, as we read on, uh, you know, Philip also communicates to him the need to receive Jesus, the need to believe in him. And we see that that's exactly what the man does. And so the man was converted. Uh, he was baptized, it says, and he was sent on his way rejoicing. Now, the application that I want us to take away today is this. Number one, these types of things still happen today. See, this is the thing we've got to know. This is the, the book of Acts, the Bible itself in many senses, but the book of Acts um, is a model for successive generations of believers to know how God works in and through his people. So, so that's one of the things as we are going through the book of Acts. And, and notice as we, as we make our way through these different stories, we, we continue to see this supernatural element. We continue to see that God is at work. And let's not lose sight of the fact that that still happens today. 
There, there's never a time, according to scripture, when that is going to cease until the second coming. That type of thing is always to be expected by Christians. But how is it that so often today we don't expect this stuff? Even sometimes today, we read about this stuff in our Bibles and we think, wow, that's amazing that that happened back then. I wish that happened today. Guess what? It still does. These kinds of things still happen today and we need to believe that and we need to expect it. We need to expect that God is working and that God wants to use us. Secondly, we need to do what Philip did. He responded to the promptings of the Spirit. So the Spirit says to him, go and overtake this chariot. Now, how did the Spirit say that? Did the Spirit say it audibly? Was there an audible voice that Philip heard? Maybe, we don't know. Was there maybe just a strong impression on him that this is, this is what the Lord wanted him to do? Maybe, because that is oftentimes what God does. He gives us promptings of the Spirit. But the important thing is that we respond to those promptings. Because what we need to understand and what we see from the story here is that God is preparing people to receive something from him, and he will often use his people to deliver what they need to receive. And so we've got to understand that. We've got to be open to that. We've, we should be expecting that. Because listen, in the world today, there are many, many people just like this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, remember, this guy's, this guy's powerful. This guy's, uh, you know, he's over the treasury of, of the, the queen of Ethiopia. So he's a powerful person. He is a person who is devoutly religious. Uh, he is a person who in many ways uh, seems to have it all together, but he's a person that is still not sure about things, and he's, he's looking for answers. He's reading the Bible, but he doesn't really even know what it says. So guess what? God says, I'm going to take Philip, who knows what that passage means, and I am going to supernaturally connect these guys. I am, I am going to bring them together on this road uh, that, that's going to Gaza. So you see, that, that still happens today because there are people around us today, whether it's people at work or people that we know through other uh, relations in, in our lives, in our communities or whatever. There are people who are successful. There are people who maybe even are religious, but there are people who are still confused. There are people who still don't know. They, they really don't know what the Bible says, or they, they don't know what it means. And of course, in the day that we're living in, there's all kinds of false information out there, right? And there's all kinds of wrong assumptions. And for the genuine seeker, for the person who really wants to know, guess what? God has prepared us, his people. He's given us a knowledge, and he wants to connect us with those people. 
so that as they are thinking through these things and maybe even reading over portions of scripture or maybe, you know, uh, looking on the internet, you know, the, on the, you know, on the internet, the number one uh, thing on Google is like finding God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Finding God. That's a, still people, uh, we often think that, you know, nobody's interested in finding God. Well, more people are interested than we might think. That's the number one Google search, finding God. People want to know about God. And we are the people that God wants to connect those people with. And he wants to use us to deliver the message to them. And so we see this uh, story. We see this beautiful thing that took place that is not just something that happened back in the apostolic period, but it's something that will happen over and over and over again, right down to today. And so are we aware of that? Are we thinking in those terms? And going back to Philip for a second. So, you know, the, the man reads him the passage and who, who's being talked about here? Philip preaches Jesus from there. Like I said, that was an easy place to preach Jesus from. But you know, when people have questions that maybe arise from um, maybe a reading of the scripture or they heard that the Bible said this or that, you know, are we able to preach Jesus to them? Are we able to clarify what needs to be clarified? Or are, are we able to uh, correct what, what needs to be corrected? Now, we should be. That's why we study our Bibles. That's why we teach the Bible. So we will be equipped when these moments come, these divine appointments, um, we will be equipped for that to happen. Now, I believe that there are endless opportunities for divine appointments. And I think that if we, every one of us, if we decided from now on, I am gonna start my week with this simple prayer, Lord, set up a divine appointment for me this week. You know what? I believe that our lives would become so much more exciting because there's nothing quite as exciting as being in the midst of a divine appointment. You know, years ago, just, this just came to mind. Um, years ago, I was, uh, it wasn't that long ago, actually. It was a few years ago. Uh, Cheryl and I were in London and we're walking along and I had been trying to connect with a guy named Martin Smith. Martin Smith was the founder of the band Delirious. Some of you might remember that. Some of you might be clueless. It's okay. Uh -huh. But Martin was the founder of the band Delirious, and I was wanting to connect with Martin because I was wanting to uh, invite him to come to Creation Fest. And, you know, you're trying to connect through this email or, you know, people, and, you know, nothing ever, nothing ever worked out. It just, it just was never coming together. So Cheryl and I are walking through London. We're walking through a place called Leicester Square. And we, as we're coming up to a corner, I look at this guy and I said to Cheryl, I said, that's Martin Smith right there. She's like, really? I said, yeah, that's Martin Smith. And it was Martin Smith. And I walked up and I said, hi, Martin. Uh, I've been trying to get in touch with you. <laughs> 
no, you don't know me, but I had <laughs> been trying to get in touch with you. Anyway, we did have some connection. Actually, uh, he had done the, the Harvest Crusade with Greg a few times, and so, you know, talked a little bit about Greg, and then I had a few other mutual, uh, actually, one of the guys that used to be in his band, I had become friends with. So, so anyway, you know, we just had this moment, and I said, hey, we really want you to come to our festival, and you know, told him a little bit about it, and he said, okay, great, well, you know, give me the details, and we'll see what happened. Well, to make a long story short, Martin ended up a few years coming to Creation Fest, and it was a fantastic time. But you know, that was just one of those moments where, um, you know, you just looked at it and you go, okay, wow, this was a divine appointment right here. This was great. Now, that wasn't so much for uh, evangelistic purposes, and not all of the divine appointments will be for evangelistic purposes, but believe me, some will. Many will. But if we, like I said, if we started out our week and just said, Lord, set me up for a divine appointment this week, Man, you know what? It'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. You can bet your life that Philip, man, when this thing had all been said and done, he was like, Lord, this is amazing. This is so great. Now, actually, in the story, Philip, uh, after he baptizes the man, uh, Philip is transported by the Spirit. So that's really exciting, right? Maybe that'll happen to you. You just, all of a sudden, the Spirit will whisk you off to some other, <laughs> another divine appointment. Um, but, you know, it, it just, listen, today is a day of salvation. The gospel's got to go out. Uh, people are, are going to be lost if they don't hear the truth of God's word. And, and we're, the, we're the instruments. We're the messengers. Now, Here's the wonderful truth. God is preparing people's hearts. God is working behind the scenes. We don't see it. We don't know what's going on. But just like this, this Ethiopian, there's things happening, and, and he is searching for God. He hasn't found God, and now he's right there. <coughs> he's right there in the scriptures, the scriptures that, that are telling him about the Savior, about the Messiah, but he needs somebody to help him know what it actually means. And Philip is there to do it. And there's people all around us today like that. And so as we pray, and as we say, God, set up divine appointments for me, you know what? He will do it. He will do it. But we have got to be Number one, we got to believe that God still does those things. And then we've got to be, uh, we've got to be sensitive to the, the, um, the prompting of the Spirit. The Lord will just, you know, he'll put it on our hearts. Go in this direction. Uh, step out. Do this. Uh, go over here. And, and you know, there's, there's a bit of faith involved here. You know, Philip could have. The angel of the Lord says, go, go down, you know, to, to this place. Philip could have said, oh, you know, I just got back from Samaria. I'm so, gosh, I'm just so burned out. I'm going to just rest a bit. I don't want to go. And what would have happened? Well, he would have missed a, an amazing opportunity. I'm sure God would have gotten it done another way. But point is, we can either ignore that we can make excuses for it, or we can just step out.
take the step of faith. But know this too, there's, there's always an unknown component here because God doesn't say to Philip, hey, I want you to go down there because I've got this guy and he's, he's gonna be reading Isaiah's prophecy and you're gonna be able to just baptize him before the event's over. God doesn't give him those details up front, but he just tells him to go and then it unfolds. So there's that, that place of faith where God doesn't give us all the details, but we step out with what we know God wants us to do, and then we look for him to open up and to you know, fulfill, to, to bring to pass the, the rest of the picture. So let's do that. Because like I was saying, uh, you know, we, we all want the world to change, but the world will never change until people change. And nothing's gonna change people apart from the gospel. Nothing's gonna change people. And, and you know, especially uh, the, wor- the world we're looking at today. I mean, it's, it's pretty bleak. It's pretty pathetic. And, you know, you can argue politics and you can argue philosophies and you can argue all different kinds of things. Uh, but at the end, um, you know, it's, it's only the gospel that changes a heart. And that's the message that we have to bring. But it's a message that comes to people that God's already prepared. So pray for divine appointments and see what the Lord will do. So that's for those of us who are believers. But as we close, let me say this as well. Because it's possible that either uh, somebody sitting in this room today or somebody here on the property or, or maybe somebody listening to my voice over the radio or you know, watching online, however it might be, you know, maybe you're realizing that this moment is a divine appointment because the circumstances that have led you to this moment are, are extraordinary circumstances or may, maybe they're bizarre circumstances. Maybe you're like, how did I get here? You know, how did this happen? But it's, it's, that, it's that work of God. It's that sovereign, providential thing of God that he's brought you to this moment. And maybe you're that person who's, you, you, you've been successful. You know, you've pretty much attained those goals that you had set for yourself. But at the same time, you know, you know there's something missing in your life. And maybe you've even become a little bit religious. Maybe you've gone off to worship, but you've walked away feeling like, I don't know, that didn't really do it. You know, a lot of people today are, let me say this, more people than we would think. More people than we would think today are looking to church or they're looking to whatever their, you know, maybe historic religious connection is, if it's a synagogue, if it's a mosque, if it's a whatever. People, as, as the world becomes more uh, troubled, people look, and that, that's where they start. But inevitably, they, they will be dissatisfied. But... They're dissatisfied because they're, they're looking in the wrong place, but God is able to bring them 
what they're actually looking for, and that's where we come into the picture. But, but maybe that's you. Maybe you've gone back to church. Maybe you've started even reading the Bible, but you don't, you don't know what it says. Well, this is what it says. It says that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. He was crushed for your sins, and the punishment that will make for your peace was upon him, and by his stripes you are healed. And the answer, just like it was for this man, was to receive this Savior. And he did so by saying to, to Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? Here's, they're coming up on water. What prevents me from being baptized? Man, it was like, I, I want this. And of course, he was baptized, and he went away rejoicing. And you can do that today as well. So if, if you're here, or if you're listening, and, and you haven't um, made that connection, but you can really identify with this Ethiopian, um, Jesus is the answer for you, just like he was the answer for him. So Lord, we thank you for just the reality of your, your spirit who is still working today. And Lord, how you are orchestrating things. You're bringing uh, people together, people that are dissatisfied, people that are questioning, people that are curious and wondering about who you are. Lord, you are preparing their hearts and you're preparing your messengers to come and to bring Jesus to them. And Lord, here we are today, and Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us who are trusting you as your people. Lord, we want to go this week into uh, just new frontiers of uh, sharing Jesus. So Lord, we pray for divine appointments. We pray, Lord, that as we walk through uh, the days ahead, that we would be sensitive to the prompting of your spirit. And Lord, that when those moments come, that we would take those steps of faith, believing that there's someone on the other end that is going to be benefited and blessed and possibly even saved. Or there's some ministry thing that you want to do. There's some touch, there's some healing, or there's some uh, something that you want to do through a divine appointment. Lord, open up opportunities for us. And Lord, I pray too for any that are with us today who um, have yet themselves to make that, that connection with you. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be open. And Lord, as they have these questions, what is this about? What does this mean? How does it apply to me? Lord, may you bring that word so that they might receive Christ and that they might find themselves going forth rejoicing as this man did. We pray in Jesus' name.